Well, last week, Dwayne just did an uh, excellent job for introducing us to Ephesus. All right. And he brought us there, and he really showed us what Paul started to do within that city. You're really bringing the word of God, it says, to each and every one, that everybody in the province of Asia heard about God. Amen. You know, and Dwayne really talked about the power of the Holy Spirit, right? That it wasn't just how great Paul was, um, or the disciples there, but it was, in fact, the Holy Spirit moving within that city and within that province. So it was a, just um, an incredible message, so thank you, Dwayne, for that. But let's turn to Acts chapter 19. We're going to finish up Paul's time here in Ephesus. You know, funny enough, uh, I, I was, you know how Facebook has those Facebook um, memories that pop up, right? Oh, yeah. One year ago, almost to the day, we were in Ephesus, weren't we? Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty wild for me. I was like, you know, preparing for the sermon. I was like, oh, memories right there. Oh, there I am in Ephesus. So I was like, <laughs> this is really cool. God's timing with that. And now we're actually going to be able to see some of those pictures here in a couple minutes. A little um, show and tell time. So, let's start in verse 23, church. All right. It says, about that time, there um, arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, um, along with the workers in the related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus. And is in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger. Not only that our trade will lose its good name. But also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Archaeus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to... Um, appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the um, officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. 
He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. We'll stop right there for now. You know, as we discussed last week that previous to this, there was a great bonfire of all the scrolls piled up. And I'm sure the whole city either would have walked by it or at minimum seen the smoke rising. And thought to themselves, what is going on in my city? Yeah, good point. And I'm sure word would have spread about this Paul. About the disciples. And the scriptures are very clear that every single person heard about the word of God. And so you could put yourself in that city. Put yourself in that position where there's fires in the streets. That your city is heading in a different direction than you've ever seen. And it all leads back to this way. To the way that Paul and his disciples are preaching. You know, the theater. Here's um, Harbor Park. I just want to talk um, a moment about the uh, scene that we're seeing there. So Harbor Park, most of us have been there. We actually have church services there sometimes. It's a great, great time. Trying to get one of those going for this year. Harbor Park, 12,000 people. 12,000 people fit within Harbor Park. You know, when we have our church service, we take up about three sections. Which is, you know, hey man, we take up three sections of a baseball field. I mean, it's not a bad thing. I mean, if you filled it with 12,000, that would be amazing, wouldn't it, church? But we take up three sections of a 12,000-seat ballpark. Now, here in the theater, about 25,000 people fit inside this theater. That's twice the size of Harbor Park. Now, you can imagine 25,000 people screaming in unison for hours. If you lived in that city, you would have definitely noticed that something was going on. You're like, where are my neighbors? And all I hear is the droning going on in the background. At minimum, you would have ran to the theater to see what in the world is happening here. You know, because that we know that the um, we know that the city is actually excuse me, went back up there. Twenty five thousand people would have fit there. Most um, estimates for the city would have been a quarter of a million people. Now, you, if your brain starts working, that's twenty. That's a quarter of a million people that heard the gospel message preached. That's like impressive uh, within its own. And so, once again, we have this theater filled with twenty five thousand people. On the brink of a riot. There's a flashpoint in the city. And it's about to happen. Let's talk about. Oh here we go. If you could uh, imagine that's Drew Mines right there. Standing there. <laughs> it was a panoramic. So his head kind of got chopped off. There's never dent. But you can see how small those people are. Standing down. That just shows you the massive height. Uh, a couple of us wanted to climb up to the top and we gave up. I was like, I don't want to do it anymore. It's too tall. Um, 
but big enough. And you know, they were they were having riots. They were about on the verge of riots. You think about the riots that you've seen. This is the uh, L.A. riots in 1992. Uh, I was actually living in Los Angeles. That's where I'm from. And I remember truly seeing the smoke billow up from the city. In fact, we were supposed to have church service in downtown and we had to cancel the service because of the riots, because of the chaos that was going on. You could see our city burning. And that's some pretty intense feelings going on there for people to go out to the streets and to riot in that way. And of course, we know it was because of the Rodney King beating that happened there. And then even more recently, we have the Baltimore riots in 2015, where Freddie Gray ended up uh, dying because of police brutality. And we knew that the city there, once again, was burning. The city there was in chaos and uproar. And we think about the feelings that people have in order to partake in a riot like this. Just the um, intensity, right? We have a lot of racial tension built up in these riots. And I'm not going to get into politics or anything like that today. I'm just trying to explain to you how the city would have felt. That it was right on the brink. Right on the brink. You know, verse 20, it talks about the word of the Lord spread with great power. That's what was inciting these people. It was pushing up against who the Ephesians were. And the tensions were so strong. The gospel stood so strong. It incited deep feelings. Right. Deep emotions. So much that the people were on the brink, as I said, of starting riots. You know, the title of today's message is The Gospel Insights. You know, for us to fully um, understand and put ourselves in this situation, we got to understand who the players are. All right? Demetrius here. He's a silversmith, and not only is he a silversmith, but it looks like he's a union leader, you know, for lack of a better term. The first union, whether you like that or not, here we go. <laughs> you know, and with that, you got to understand the city within, uh, you got to understand the city within, he, uh, you got to understand, I don't even know how that sentence would go. Amen. <laughs> we're just going to, we're just going to leave it there. <laughs> We got to understand Ephesus. The city within he works. Yes, that's good enough. Grammar, I don't know. But this is a city where it talks about the, I mean, clearly the people are proud of their temple and are proud of the fact that they have this goddess Artemis that is represented within that city. I mean, if you're shouting it for two hours, you got to be somewhat connected to it. Now, and, and they had this massive structure, this massive temple that, in fact, is bigger than the Lincoln Memorial. It's bigger than that. And you can imagine it in this city 
that pilgrims would come in to give sacrifices to this goddess. And these silversmiths, what they did is they basically made little souvenirs, for lack of a better term, of the temple, of this goddess. And there were so many people that came into this city to worship that it says that they made a great income. Okay. Not just one person, but many silversmiths. You know, in this temple, it became so wealthy, in fact, that it became the bank for the whole area. That's how much money was flowing into this temple. That they would give loans out. I mean, that's, that's a very um, effective and wealthy temple, isn't it? You know, but the problem was that business was dropping. Not as many people coming to worship. Not as many people buying little silver statues of their goddess to sit on their shelf at home. You know, business was dropping. And as I said earlier, the bonfires were raging. You know, the city would hear from their neighbors, perhaps even converts to Christianity, about what was really being preached. The fact that they were saying that Artemis is no God at all. That what you've based your life on, what you've based the pride of your city, is all a sham. It's all false. There's nothing there. And this was the message that Paul brought. And the people figured it out, didn't they? They figured it out that Paul was the man bringing this message. That Paul and his disciples were the ones cutting into business. They were the ones throwing the city into chaos. And we see here that Demetrius was just one voice. Just one voice in a city that all felt very similar. You know, the gospel message, it threatens the foundation of our culture. It threatens the foundation of our city. It threatens the foundation of the Hampton Roads area. It pushes back on the norms of sex, greed, power, your priorities in life. The gospel message pushes back. And we all have strong feelings about who we are, don't we? We have strong feelings about how we would describe ourselves. And here we see that the gospel message is pushing back on that definition. No different than it does today. And to make matters worse was the lives of the disciples. It was a flagrant and public display of what it meant to be a Christian. And what that did is that you could um, imagine, put yourself in the situation there, is that you would go to work and you would be talking about, I don't know, um, the crazy weekend that you had. And you would be talking about it, and then the next guy would say, yeah, mine was even crazier. Going back and forth, swapping stories, and it comes to the Christian, and he says, I had a great time of prayer this weekend. All of a sudden, you feel kind of judged, don't you? Feeling like, who is this guy? Who is this guy over here? Who are you? We see that the gospel, what it does, is it not only pushes back on the cultural norms, but it exposes 
who the people are. That it brings light to a dark world. That it, that it exposes the darkness that lies beneath the polite exterior of society. Whether that be in your office, in your home, in your neighborhood, or even at the Aldi grocery store. The gospel pushes back and exposes the ugly darkness. And people don't like that. It angers people because the gospel demands that you radically change your life. That Jesus preached is not Jesus with a lamb over his shoulder smiling at you. But in fact, Jesus is a man who is demanding everything. Demanding every single area of your life that you follow him. And that's not a message that is received today very well or even back then. It's the same message. The same gospel. The same Jesus. Has the gospel shaken your life today? Has it pushed back on your norms? Has it pushed back on the cultural norms that live in your life? If it hasn't, church, then the question has to come. Are you actually living it out? Are you Allowing the gospel to incite change, radical change within your life. Your lifestyle, what you think, how you feel, how you view the world. The gospel message should incite change. You know, the gospel is not something you simply just add on to your life. It's not a plug in. Something that rewrites who you are. Something that rewrites the very nature of your being. To fall in line, not with culture, but in fact with Jesus Christ. The next question would be, is your life that you live a slap in the face to culture? Because it is so radically different that it challenges those that know you. Those that interact with you, those that you work with, those that you go to class with, those that live near you, is your life that different that it incites a riot, that it incites anger? Because people see your life, they see your life that it reflects that of Jesus. And what it does is it judges them. It judges their decisions and makes them think twice about the cultural norms that they have um, accepted in their lives. Let's continue on church in verse 35. In verse 35, it says the city clerk quieted the crowd and said, fellow um, Ephesians. Doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, 
Since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our gods. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open, and there are pro-counsels. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal um, assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what has happened today. In that case, we would not be able to um, account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he said this, he just dismissed them all. You know, the city officials, it was getting so bad that they had to step in. You can see Paul in the background wanting to jump up in front of the crowd as he's done so many times before. Fearlessly ready to preach the gospel, ready to defend Christ. But he was pushed back and said, this is getting too crazy. And we see that Paul, as he goes from city to city, he incites riots. He incites a response from the people in Damascus, Antioch, um, Iconium, Lystra, Philippi, Thessalonica, and here in Ephesus. This is what Paul's life was. Preaching the gospel to the point of a flashpoint in that city. What about your life? What about your life? What message are you bringing? And are you bringing it with the power and the confidence that is demanded by Jesus? What about you? What about you? Are you pushing back? Are you challenging based on your life and the gospel message that you preach? As radical as Christ himself. As radical as we see Paul doing here. You know, I hope you never have 25,000 people shouting at you. I really do. I hope I am not in that position. I hope you are not in that position. That would be a rough day. Very rough day. But what about just one? Have you even had one? One individual upset because of your stance and your life. And your love for God. Just one. Not 25,000. Just one. When was the last time you shared your faith? When was the last time that you preached the gospel? Let's just take um, out the idea of people being frustrated or upset. Or offended, God forbid, about your stance on culture, on your stance on what is happening in our city. When was the last time that you incited someone to the strong feelings that we see going on here? When was the last time that your life incited those strong feelings? You know, the message that we preach is no different than Paul's. 
It's the same as what Jesus preached, that it will judge the world of, of sin. And rest easy. You don't have to come up with this message on the spots. You got a great manual sitting in front of you. You got a great manual and a whole great cloud of witnesses right here that are ready to cheer you on and give you as much um, insight and direction as you need. You are not by yourself, Christian. But what about your life? Does it incite riots? What about us as, as a church? We see that Paul is clearly not by himself. Paul started it, but the church continued it. Amen. What are we known for? If someone that you stop anybody on the street and you said the Hampton Roads Church is known for what? What would they say? I don't know who the Hampton Roads Church is. I don't know what to say. They're a nice group that meets a couple times on Sunday in a couple different areas. They seem to preach the word of God, non-denominational. They baptize for the forgiveness of sins. They seem like a really great group. I might go out sometime. What will people in your office say if you ask them? If you had to describe the Hampton Road Church, what would you say? What about teens in your school? If you asked your classmates, hey, what do you think about the Hampton Roads Church? John 15, Jesus promises persecution. Promises it. If we're not experiencing it, is that a problem? Maybe that is a problem. With us, individually and collectively, that maybe we're not preaching the gospel the way that it should be. That it really does push back on society and culture and the social norms so much that it bothers So much that people don't want to hear it. And they're shouting, trying to drown out the gospel message. Are we shaking this foundation of this city? Church, wickedness has a grip on our cities here in Hampton Roads. And it's going to take the courage from each and every one of us. Let me say that again. It's going to take the courage... From each and every one of us to go challenge its foundations, to go proclaim Jesus Christ as the one and true way. That's what we're here for, church. You know, the singles have started their military ministry, started to back up. It's been great hearing about it. Dwayne has given us a ton of great, good, good news there. And the big thing that I've been hearing over and over again is that when the singles go on these bases or near the bases, they're splitting. And in Dwayne's own words, they are stopping every single person they see to spread the gospel message. And do you know what's happening? People are pushing back. They were told that they can't um, invite anybody else. That, hey, you can meet here for now. But don't ask anybody else to come. And even recently, it went one step further. That you can meet here, but don't talk about God. Push them back. 
I love that. What a great example of what it is to preach the gospel. What a great example of what it is to push back on culture. And to stand firm in the word. And to preach it. Church, here's a map of Hampton Roads. Minus Williamsburg. I couldn't find one word. (laughs) (laughs) Should have had Bush Gardens up there. Not that our nation was founded there. All right, here we go. (laughs) Jamestown, kind of important. Take it or leave it. Um, But I want you to imagine a city. Our city. Seized with great fear. And the name of the Lord was held in high honor. And that people were openly confessing their sins. Out in public. And the word of the Lord spread with great power. I want you to um, imagine this whole map. That we can describe each and every one of those cities with this scripture. The whole area of Hampton Roads. That we see riots. That in fact, Harvard Park is filled with um, individuals screaming and protesting the gospel message. So much because they fear what we're preaching. They fear the threat that it has to what they hold as the norm. But that's going to come from us. Church, that's going to come through us. And as Wayne talked about last week, the Holy Spirit speaking through us. And no other way. That we're going to um, allow the Holy Spirit to work in a powerful way. I want to close with this. You guys know what that is? Any guesses? That's what's left of the temple. And you guys know what this is? In here? What's left of the gospel. Come on. Jesus is the truth. You know, the people felt like their way of life, that their temple, that their goddess was the true power, was the was the truth, was the only way. But look at it now. There's no more shouting crowds. All the voices are quiet. I actually went there. No one was screaming. Great as Artemis of the Ephesians. In fact, there were people singing gospel hymns in that theater, which I thought was kind of funny. So I'm like, where are you guys now? Where are you now? Big and strong 2,000 years ago. (laughs) But the gospel hasn't gone anywhere. Let's close out in um, Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, as you can put together, this was written to the church in Ephesus. And in verse 19, Paul writes, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, 
built on the foundation of the um, apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. Now, pay attention to this. In him, the whole building... <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> wow, that was not as um, anti-climatic. <laughs> In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become what? A holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God, the true God, lives by his spirit. <clears throat> no coincidence here that this is the passage that Paul writes or writes in his letter about the idea that, hey, they got a great temple. But guess what? You are the temple of the Lord. That you are, have a life built on the prophets, the apostles, and Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Like I said, this temple has fallen. The gospel lasted for 2,000 years until now, and it will go on for another 2,000, and perhaps even more and more and more until Jesus comes back. Why? Because it's true. No matter how much it bothers people, the challenges, it's it's the truth. It's the truth that brings healing. It's the truth that brings hope. That brings light into a dark world. A dark Hampton Roads. It heals the life of sin. Generations of sin. The cycle of divorce, greed, abuse. It breaks the chains of sexual sin, substance um, abuse, anger and bitterness. That is what stands is the gospel message. One that does bring hope and healing. And how does it do that? Through you as a temple of the Lord. And that is what we preach. The hope. Of a better life. The hope of following a true God. And to break every chain that binds us. And that's what the city needs, church. So my challenge for each and every one of us this morning. Is preach until it incites the city. That every single person has heard. Let's just start with in your office. You just pick one class. Preach until it incites a riot. Go share your faith. Go preach the gospel. Let your life be a testament to Christ. And church, I can't wait to see what happens. And I can't wait to see the riots. Thank you, church.